Welcome to another episode of Learn with Bestern, where we discuss the latest trends in leadership development, self-development, as well as well-being. There's so much information out there. We want to make sure we bring in the latest insights and research based on neuroscience and behavior change to give you the tools that you need to make a change in your personal and professional lives. Join us on a journey to learn more. We hope you enjoy this episode and don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with others that might find it helpful. Well, Suleika, it is a pleasure to have you today. And you know what? I'm super excited because one of the topics that everybody in corporation is talking about is about how do you create change in organizations? So what we know, Suleika, is that in the last two years, 60% of companies have embarked in some type of change. Some of them call them transformation. Uh, they are changing their business models trying to find efficiency through digital or simply rebuilding an organization culture that is more agile, more entrepreneurial. A big part of the success of this transformation will come, of course, from the human factor uh, that is created by a mindset and culture in the organization. And what we know is that despite investments in technology, trainings and restructuring the full organization, often the human factor will impact the most in times of change. The key question, and the reason why I wanted to invite you, Zuleika, is because I really want to understand, can we really measure the impact of human in order to have the control of the change? Zuleika, we have been working together in a couple of projects, and I would, I would like to introduce you in, in some words, and you correct me if I'm saying something that is <laughs> out of the, the line. So you have 15 years experience in strategy execution. Uh, you have been working with big organizations, corporations that ha had a portfolio of more than $20 billion in terms of investments. And you have been delivering quite a lot of results. And this is quite, quite impressive in different type of industries uh, like real estate, hospitality, healthcare. Uh, and you have been working across different continents, Europe, Middle East. And today, in fact, you are the managing director of one of the most trending companies uh, in the Middle East, the Cornerstone, Cornerstone Advisory. Um, I understand that the, the Cornerstone Advisory is unique as it targets the pains of transformation by embedding the human aspect in, the, in, the, in, in your strategy. Uh, and it's not all about plants with beautiful slides, but how do you engage people to drive the execution, right? Mm. What I wanted to ask you, Zuleka, is what was the, your aha moment that made you transition into the world of consulting? That is an amazing introduction. Thank you. Um, uh, you didn't get anything wrong. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, you know, I, I know you said we worked on a couple of projects. I strongly resonate with the work that you and the Basern team do because, you know, while change is in that bigger vision, you only realize it at the individual human level. And that's such huge value to, to, to businesses. And I think in a similar vein, and this is why I uh, set up the Cornerstone Advisory, 
you know, it's so easy to set the strategy and the ideas and the pretty pictures and the beautiful slides, but on their own, they're meaningless. They, unless, you know, they translate into the business, on, they, they don't stand well on their own. I worked with companies and for companies that have had these amazing ideas of collaboration and employee empowerment. Yet everything that was happening in the business contradicted that, right? You know, for example, if you have this extensive hierarchy and these rigid processes, especially when you have a small company, right? You, there's no way for people to get together, sit and share ideas and live up to that idea of collaboration and they're not being empowered to do anything. So, and that's why I set up the Cornerstone Advisory because it's not a HR consultancy. It's not about people in that sense because it's not one dimension. It's about bridging the gap between those ideas and the execution across the business. So in terms of people, processes and um, systems, right? And just to get the most effective and efficient results for the business. Uh, and I think that's the most important things when companies are looking, especially when they're looking to implement some kind of change in their businesses. Exactly. And, and what, what we have noticed in, in, in our own venturing adversary is also that despite the amount of training that like people think, companies in fact think that because you are investing in building skills. And very often mm -hmm. we are talking about the skills that are the hard skills that you need in order to drive technological changes. Because if we look at today's world, so what has happened that COVID has made, has given a major slap to many companies in order to yeah. transform. <clears throat> the thing is that giving people just the knowledge about how to use technology, how to, uh, find alternative methods is not enough because at the end, we are facing the natural resistance of human to change, right? Yes. Whatever happens yes. to, to us when there is a major change, like we decide, okay, I want to learn a new skill. I, I, I want to look better and I want to go to the gym. We always yeah, have yeah. this natural resistance that made us, hey, I'm super motivated now, but the effort is so big that I'm not yeah. Yeah. doing so, Just, I want to add to that point, actually, Ivan, because I think you're right, like, people will look at it in, with such a one dimensional perspective. So they'll look at, oh, I'm offering training. Oh, I want cost efficiency. Oh, like, it's just one, like, you're not looking at the bigger picture. And I think that's why it's really important that we have these conversations that we're having today, because many companies will see a clear path in their mind when they're thinking operational efficiency and cost reduction, they'll go, yeah. A to Z done, but they don't really see that path in the same way when it comes to pe connecting people with those results or the bottom line. Um, it's much less tangible, and but that's where we know that that's where the greatest value can be added to the business, right? Exactly. So, to to build on what just you are saying, so more than having today more of knowledge, people in organizations in order to thrive and enjoy the change, they need to embrace the change. And this is yeah. a lot of work into the mental capacity of embracing the change, having the capacity also to, to create a process that makes you continuously change. Uh, yeah, doing, and grow. Uh, the transformation starts with the individual before it goes into an organization because yeah. it's the individuals who will put the resistance for the major change that organization yeah. 
and, and that drives me to, to the next question, in fact, Zuleka. Um, the, the, what, how can you say, in fact, that a business or what are the signs that a, a business are made to last and thrive despite competition and uncertainty? Because that's, that's kind of the key words that, that, are, that are happening today, that there is, when you want to change, you don't know the results. Yes. Basically, and, and, and that fear of the future, and we know that human beings are really bad. They suck at, at forecasting the future. And when, they, when there is this uncertainty, we, be, we become less motivated, less engaged, because we have mm -hmm. the fear that if we do this change, I'm not going to be capable of doing it. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe it means also that I'm going to lose my job, that I'm going to be replaced yeah. by technology. Um, but it doesn't look like a clear cut for me because also during this period, there was this major refocus on into the human. And instead of finding technology to replace the work of human, it's about how can you use technology to enhance the work of human? Uh, and yeah. that has been a major change today. So for you, what could be these signs that something that when we do good change, and it's long-lasting change, we can, we can do it. You know, um, I, I, I love what you said there. We do live in a world where things are so fast-moving, easily changed, right? Mm -hmm. And when you come up with a new idea, it's not new for very long, right? Um, it's, we live in a world where ideas are replicated just like that. But what isn't easy for, for com uh, companies to replicate it, and the bit that makes a company thrive is the business structures and the business culture, right? You can't just pick it up and scientifically drop it in a different country, different company, right? Um, I have my, my most favorite example. Uh, I've been following a company called Gravity Payments. It's based in the US. I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, they're a payment processing tech. There's many of them out there, as we as we know now, right? They have an abundance of competitors. But their CEO has what he calls a people-first approach. And that's a lot more than words. Everyone says people first, but it's a lot more than words. His starting point was, let's give everyone, regardless of their role, a base salary of $70,000, right? Mm. Because if they're comfortable and they're not worrying about paying the bills and paying the rent and you know surviving outside of work, they can you know fully immerse themselves into the job, right? And everyone thought this is absolutely mental. This is not going to work. Uh, the company's going to fold. And you know what, Ivan? They had they tripled in size. They cut employee turnover in half. They've doubled their employees. But even through the pandemic, where most of their competitors were struggling they've actually increased their revenue and they're thriving today, right? And, you know, I'm gonna give you a complete contrasting example. And I'm sure we've all been reading about Wall Street and how they treat their employees. They treat their employees like they're replaceable. They've always done that. It's, it's culturally, it's always been there. So they were working long hours, they self-sacrifice their personal lives, they, you know, their whole dedication was their jobs. And then the pandemic happened. And that everyone is reevaluating, you know, what am I doing with my life? Is this where I should be heading? And a lot of the very good people on Wall Street bowed out, they left. <laughs> and now, now what's incredible is these companies, whereas before they were like attracting talent, they had so many applications and not enough roles, it's the reverse. I was reading, um, 
they're paying their interns insane of interns insane amount of money to choose them over their competitors and i don't necessarily think that's the right thing to do um, because it, you have to change the whole business that's the structures and the mentality that go with it right you mm. can't just throw money at the problem which i'm sure we will get on to but like you can see that the treatment of employees in two very different contexts and how it really will affect the bottom line. We always talk about the numbers side of change, right? This is not tangible. It's not a clean line. But look at these two examples in themselves. Mm. Uh, Zuleika, I, I think that there is two good elements that, that you have mentioned. The first one is about the impact of the intangibles uh, in terms of the motivation in order to drive change. So it is true that uh, there has been research, in fact, research conducted by, I remember that it, there is a writer called Paul Zak who talks about trust in organizations. And mm. he has been assessing the different parameters that create that people get engaged in organizations in order to give, to, to give more. Um, and of course, money is something tactical. It engages you just one shot. Um, it engages you like, for a couple of months, you receive a bonus because you have been working, or it is quite attractive to work for, I don't know, non-sexy uh, industries like uh, tobacco, like, uh, I don't know, telecommunications, sometimes it can, can be non-sexy, but it doesn't drive like a sustainable, sustainable engagement so that you are continuously innovating. Um, so the sense of belonging, the recognition that you get, and recognition, it doesn't mean money, more, it means more like somebody gives you a simple like ovation, like saying, hey, Zuleika, you did an excellent job, bravo, and you say it in front of others, your yeah. self-esteem is growing, you feel like belonging to a tribe, we all, uh, the human being is built on aspirations that are super simple, and Corporations during the 80s have been com complexifying this, this situation, giving extra bonus, thinking that money will sort out, uh, sort out the, the issue with motivation and productivity, but it's, it's not. You work for somebody that you trust, uh, you work with your heart, with some, with, when you belong to an organization, when you feel recognized, when they give you the possibility to be the best version of yourself. Somebody who educates, who educates you, who gives you the, the, the development, who gives you the possibility to do things even that is outside the scope of, of your of your work, because you you want to own, uh, you, you you want to to to, to grow for for yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a number one um, comment that I have to do. The second one, and and I'm sorry because I always bring back your this these jokes about uh, strategic consulting, and we have been making a couple of jokes about, about them. <clears throat> so coming with the slides, so you pay, let's say, to Accenture, McKinsey, Bain, BCG, uh, a couple of hundred thousand, or sometimes, very often, a couple of millions uh, for, uh, for giving you advisory. They come with ideas, but within the next 12 months, these are ideas are going to be old, 
non-applicable because you mentioned we are the evolution is so quick and 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 the exponentiality of change has is becoming even worse so right now for instance human resources have this problem that saying oh in order to skill people i i need to teach them new stuff every single month mm -hmm. No ways. You have. You know. To. You know. We we have joked about consultants <laughs> quite often, and um, we both worked for companies where consultants have come in. And I don't. You know. I don't think it's necessarily always the case that things are adapting too fast for you to cope with, because I think that can be built into the company. I think what tends to happen with the kinds of. Uh, the big consultants, they come in, they speak to just the leader, leadership teams, right? We know that's just one perspective or, or, you know, speak to certain disciplines only. They write their incredible deck that looks, you know, very glossy. They give it to you and then they leave, right? There's no vested interest into, hey, let me get a, a broad uh, perspective across the business, but let me also make it happen, you know? once they're paid they leave and so there's no no interest in keeping it going there's no interest in creating those structures that will keep uh the business thriving in a way that let's keep innovating let's talk and have all these channels and these mechanisms so that when changes are coming hard and fast as is, as is the current situation in the market now right we can survive and the only way you can do that even is by engaging with people you mm. know a, a pretty presentation that sits on a shelf isn't going to do that, right? Exactly. And and I think what what really attract me about the the, um, the the job that you are doing the cornerstone advisory is the fact that we think alike in the fact that instead of giving the fish and the rice to feed the people, we are teaching them how to fish, how to get the yeah. fish. So how yeah. to build this continuous, um, this, the, the, the skill capacity, the mental resources, so to be more innovative, to have it, yeah. to have it in use. Yeah. Because when you have 10 consultants from McKinsey compared to having thousands of employees who are thinking the same about how can I do it better, it, even if it is micro improvements or even if it is a big disruptive change in the organization, they know better, but you need to entice them they bring need that to, out, yeah. And, and create the mental process to continuously think, how do I do it? How do I make it? Yeah. And, yeah. and then that this is when companies have the 10X, not the 1X that they get after a, a BCG uh, presentation, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we had the opportunity to reach a little bit about, um, about the work as a strategic consultant and also what differentiates in fact your value proposition and how we find that the aspect of, of helping people, starting with people for in order to do a transformation can bring uh, an extra value. And, and I forgot to mention, and, and, and I mean, a little bit off topic, but I, I just want to highlight that people, organizations transform, not only mm -hmm. because it's going to create additional financial value. But in today's world, the interest of the new generation of talent that they want to attract is mm. not really, hasn't put in the priority uh, money. It is something else. It can be the sense of recognition. So when you look at the three topics that Gen Zs are, are, are going for, 
Mm. They have put in number seven or eight money, but what they want is work on their, uh, on their well-being, uh, work in their uh, development, being heard. So the, these are things if we compare with my generation, Gen X, it's like, what the hell? We were worried <laughs> only about earning lots of money. <laughs> this is true. You cannot attract these people only be, uh, having a culture that is based on incentives, in monetary yeah. incentives. So organizations that are based on that needs to change, create a new culture. But also those monetary incentives need to change, right? Because you just said it. Generationally, things have changed so much. Mm -hmm. um, take the Middle East, for example, right? What you get as part of your package, right? You get education allowance, spousal visa, medical for your family, but the traditional things, right? But people are getting married later or not getting married at all. They're not having kids. They're, they're more looking, like you said, they're more looking to align the company that they work with, with their internal purpose, right? We all want to feel like we're making a difference more so today than in that monetary sense. So companies have to recognize that, right? As an employee looking for work, because obviously we all need money to survive. And, you know, the example I gave with gravity payments, you have enough money that you can focus and dedicate yourself to your job and to the company. But at the same time, you know that the company has a vested interest in you as a person. They acknowledge you, they, they like all the things that you said. Uh, and that acknowledgement is just, can be as simple as a thank you. Mm. Job well done, right? Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's again, not so tangible. Um, those things that, that make people feel appreciated. Yeah. Uh, it, it is good that you clarify this point about salaries. Of course, if you are at an entry position and you are not paid well enough, then the, the basic needs start popping in. I don't have enough to survive. I, I, I don't have enough for food and having a, a studio in, a, in, in the city. It is going, my life is going to be difficult. And this is quite important that at least the basic needs needs to be covered. And then there is mm -hmm. a sense of fairness. So it does imagine that I come and I get X amount of money. Then I discover that guys who are just, uh, I don't know, because they are more popular, they're getting 20% more salary. When it is not fair, then we start, of course, we don't feel that uh, we are not well balanced in terms of our capacity to be engaged. So engagement yeah. means starting with a, a, a price point of salary that is fair, mm. and that is comparable across the organization. And this is where, okay, this is a, a good thing to, 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 to say the role of, 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 of functions like diversity inclusion pl uh, plays a big role to compare mm -hmm. not only across gender race but compare like, across generations if this mm -hmm. what you are doing is the is the right thing mm -hmm. so we have been discussing about the positive things but now i i i, I want to understand a, a bit more about <laughs> what makes that an organization can can fail and and there is a couple of examples some we have worked on some <laughs> have heard of what's your take on that Suleika? you know when we when we talk about um change it can be so diverse right the kinds of changes that we have and everyone talks about transformation like it's this 
really common buzzwords that everyone uh, uses in every context. But at its most basic, you're looking at changing the business uh, in any kind of shift, whether you're realigning or it's a fundamental change in three areas. It's usually operational, a core change or strategic, right? And the goal is to kind of, not kind of, but to actually change the processes, people and systems in co like connecting the three to your vision or your strategy. And, you know, I think usually the starting point is cost efficiency. Like that's usually the starting point for all kinds of change. And so um, companies will, when, when they embark on a big transformation project or a change project, they'll think, that if I change one discipline or one function or refine processes, you know, mm. I make it more efficient. I, I do this nice Visio flow chart and that's it. I'll give it to people and that's it, right? We change, we're more efficient, we cut cost across the business and that's great. Um, what they tend to forget there is that one, disciplines and functions cannot work in silos. Everything interfaces with other parts of the business. Um, and two, it is dehumanizing the business, right? Mm. I'm going to talk about that more in a, in, in a second, but because the other transformation mistake that most companies make is here's a system. Here's an ERP system that we got a great demo of, and that's also going to solve world peace. <laughs> we're going to bring it in. <laughs> we're going to bring it in, tell everyone, look, you know, we're investing in digital transformation, uh, which is just a new, new piece of technology. And again, because they're not getting the buy-in from people, uh, and I've worked with companies where this has happened. 12 months later, people have reverted back to Excel sheets because that's easier. The systems are completely underutilized and it's effectively a failed investment, right? So going on to what is the biggest mistake is that that element of dehumanizing the business. You know, you're, you're saying that technology and processes are everything that you need and that's it. And we know that that doesn't work. It, I think the common quoted statistic is what, 84% of transformation projects fail? Yeah, exactly. That's And, and largely because of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think that you gave a, a very good example uh, in terms of, of transformation, but maybe we can dig a little bit more on that because of course you made me think about times in my life where there was an e SAP implementation. I didn't want to name them, but Come on, I just have to name them. And exactly what you said, that there was a duplication of processes because nobody was onboarded. Somebody had the beautiful idea of saying to the IT department, go and map the processes and let's build it up in, inside of that software. Uh, so we had a lot of German people in my previous job doing some work that nobody understood and that nobody embraced because nobody was part of it. It was just like, questions hey how do you do it now uh, and i mean i was not part of the solution nobody was part of, of the solution and so we what we are saying is that the way we build change today needs to be revised uh, in terms that if you're going to pay more than one million dollars for the implementation of a software that is going to be delivered in 12 months on um, then it's going to be too late things are going to be changing drastically. What if we find a way of driving change in a continuous manner? So embedded in the, uh, in the culture is saying, why don't we start with mini deliverables that are, have a lot of value impact? And it's not about the software. Sometimes it is just about the, the major idea of 
being focused on user experience, being focused on how we can create value to others within departments inside of, uh, of the organization or to, uh, to the customers. And sometimes solutions can be really easy to be piloted. And that's yeah. where organizations can learn a lot about startups because mm -hmm. in the startup world, you, you come with an idea that you think that is awesome, but in most of the cases, this idea is going to be revised within the next six months that you have launched your product because yeah. you didn't know enough about the needs of, of a customer or, uh, or if you are capable of generating revenue on that. So this approach of working in, 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 in cycles and having data to prove that your assumptions are valid or not, yeah. doing it even before you deliver a big ass development of, of a software, it is, it is the best because you are continuously doubting, but every doubt has the possibility to go and check with real data if mm. your assumptions are good or not, because marketeers, salespeople who are in front of a computer, they don't learn shit. That's, uh, let's put it that, uh, that, that way. They only learn when they are in contact with their customers. If it is somebody in the organization or the customer is outside, then go and talk to them to understand what is the, their basic needs. And companies so have the possibility to use I don't know, sometimes you call it the, the lean startup approach. And some companies have started doing the, creating this movement. But the core of this movement of making an agile organization is in the humans. So you teach them more of, of how to ask the right, right questions, how to create a process that can validate mm -hmm. experimentation. Yeah. With the experimentation, there is the concept that you need to accept that some things will fail. Right? Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, it's I, I love that example that you gave because it's so, so commonplace. Um, you, the, the, this team comes in and they ask you, how do you do things? And then they replicate that in a system. That is not digital transformation. That's not even humans augmenting technology. That's, you just, that's not cost effective. You're just replicating what's already happening in a system, right? The best people that know how to improve uh, the way they work and the people that do it day in day out right mm. if you're doing that what exactly what you said consulting with them and say you know what are your key problems what are the things that are your roadblocks or bottlenecks when you're when you're doing your day to day and then use technology to help resolve those problems right and so they're on board hey my day is easier now because I'm not having to worry about x what YZ, I'm listened to and I'm heard, so I'm recognized and appreciated. And it, it changes the dimensions completely of a business when, when, when that happens, as opposed to one team coming in, this is your change project. You have to, like you said, that project management approach, step by step by step. And there's no, there's no uh, iteration. There's no room for, well, if I listen to this employee and he's telling me that this change is going to uh, create massive problems in another area, but I'm like, no, my, my project says that, you know, I'm at the end stage now, <laughs> so we can't go back and rework everything, even though that that's a fundamental flaw in that change project, right? Mm. And not listening to employees in that way and not being agile enough and not iterating or not accepting that there will be failures throughout the process is, is honestly a fundamental issue when it comes mm. to change projects. And again, it comes down to people, right? Mm. Mm. 
Another thing that just while you were talking, I, I, I was thinking about that it is a, um, a major reason for failure of, of, of change is that we want to change when things are going bad. And what yes. happens when, when things are going bad is that we feel that is, it is urgent to change. So we want to deliver uh, more babies still in, in nine months. So we think that if we put, we throw a lot of money, we are going to be able to, to create a, a, a major change. And, and then people become impatient because if you are in a problematic situation, a challenging situation, because you have been, uh, you have been losing sales because you were a brick and mortar in, uh, company and now you need to go completely digital online because this is, there is no way out. <clears throat> And you believe that if you throw money in three months, you will have a website that it will be fully functional and you are going to kick out Amazon and the, the noons of, of, of the, the Middle East. Uh, well, it, it's not going to work. And that makes that leaders become impatient. But, but it's simply not possible in three months to drive an impactful change. So start the change when you don't have any major problems. Start the change because it should be a way of living, a lifestyle for your organization rather than a solution for a challenge that you have today. Yes, 100%. And the other thing that I really like that you said there is we live in, in the Middle East especially, it's if we're going to throw money at the problem, those results need to be immediate. And no meaningful change project has immediate results. Um, I know we were talking about the big consultancy firms before, but McKinsey did a study. And what did they say? They said, you'll only realize like about 20% of the value uh, of a change project in the first three months. Even after 12 months, you're still only at 70%. But we live in an environment where leaders think that because they've invested in that problem, and again, it's a problem, it's not a, a business as usual day-to-day -day approach where we're constantly trying to improve things, we only address it when there's a problem. But when I'm throwing money at the problem, that's it. Like I need to see, you have a, a project management timeline that tells me in three months time, I'll have your launch, therefore done. Mm. And again, it doesn't, and I've said this so many times during this, this session, but it doesn't recognize it even in our personal lives, change doesn't happen according to a timeline um, and people don't embrace it in that way, right? We need to feel like we're recognized. We need to feel like we're rewarded. We need to feel like we're, you know, our roles are safe when we're, when we're implementing change. We need to feel like we're connected with the reason for change. And if those things don't come through with the change process, um, it's not going to be successful. But even if, when they do come through, it's not going to happen in three months. There's a steep learning curve for, for employees. I have to do my day job and deal with this change, yeah. right? And there's going to be less of productivity during this period, but then senior management are saying, well, wait, I threw money at this problem, but you're now not being productive. Mm. But we're learning to deal with the change. We're trying to implement the change, right? Mm. And it's a nice transition of <clears throat> what you just mentioned to, to talk a little bit more about the, the, the human. So, <clears throat> so mm. we have been talking about change, how difficult it, uh, it is. And one thing that is quite, that has struck me is that during COVID times, there is, um, there is a measure of the productivity that we call presenteeism. 
um, which is basically <clears throat> the idea that people comes either shows up at work without having the level of productivity that is expected because they are just coming even though mentally they are anxious stressed mm -hmm. imagine the anxiety i mean i don't have to tell you imagine because we have been through of changing working from home and not having enough connection with your peers uh being uh afraid that people that shows up to the physical uh office um they are going to know more than you and you have to go any uh, anyways you need to create mental processes to uh, uh to enhance your efficiency when you're working from home and then you have your seven years old who will come with a homework uh your wife who will tell you now that you're here can you help more <laughs> finally <laughs> um, <laughs> i see you <laughs> um so you need to deal with a, a, a lot of uh a lot of changes and it is humans not take it uh, i mean that generates stress and stress is a way is a signal for our body uh, of saying it is a situation where I, I i'm fearful and when you have um the production of chemicals in your brain for of fear then there is a decrease of your cognitive um cognitive that means the thinking process that you have so you are not basically as clever as you were because when you are stressed um you are blocking the same molecules the, the, the same hormones signals of your brain that are creating the level of stress are blocking your innovation your capacity to do connections inside different areas of of, of your brain it is blocking your uh, the five percent in fact of the brain that is doing all the analytical thinking uh, mm -hmm. it is blocking all this communication so you become it's a little bit like you are frozen in front of the computer so you want to be there but you are not doing enough uh, you and, and you feel also bad because you notice it that you things that were like uh, i'm going to put on a strategy or a presentation or or crunch some numbers that were taking you 20 minutes or one hour when you are stressed it will take you a couple of hours and you feel it and you feel bad about mm -hmm. yourself so this idea to of working within the human uh, psychology in order to create this mindset of how do i get out of this circle of of, of stress having more the control of feeling that you are having more of control of the, of your of your life so that you can be more productive creative and 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 own your life because that's the, that's a the major thing when you don't feel that you own your life this is something that yeah. where people are wanting to leave their jobs and we are seeing the impact of covid today because people are feeling that what's the point where is my purpose is i don't want to be 15 and still crunching excel numbers well i still yeah. do <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i think but that is such a crucial point though because i mean i mentioned earlier like safety connectivity and reward but if you remove those barriers to to that make people feel unsafe and unconnected and unrecognized and unrewarded then it makes change a lot easier to implement like when you know in the context of change um you're scrutinizing my work right reevaluating the way i work you'll you're there's a, a the human factor is me stressing saying but i've been doing this job this whole time and i've gotten it done and now you're 
looking at it and telling me it's been wrong this whole time and there's a better way of doing it humans feel like it's a personal attack right Mm -hmm. and especially when like a lot of digital transformation projects look at this real-time dashboarding and reporting right suddenly you're there's this extreme scrutiny on what i'm doing and you know so it makes people feel vulnerable right if you change the narrative but it's true right but if you change the narrative to say well this isn't an attack on you i'm here to make your job easier right how do I do that? And then that's when you bring them on board um, and they yeah. feel like they are part of the solution, yeah. right? And it removes those barriers to suddenly I feel unsafe. I mean, it's, it's not too different from the remote working to the office, right? If you, I mean, that's a whole different conversation in itself, but if you give people the tools to still collaborate and feel okay, whether they're in the office or at home, right? And then they're productive, right? If I'm distracted the whole time when I'm in the office because I'm worrying about X, Y, Z, I'm not productive. And that is no different to when I'm at home and I'm stressed about, you know, all these other things that are happening in my life. So there has to be uh, a whole solution, you know? Mm. And and talking about the the solution, and we very often forget it because of the rush of changing transforming an organization is that as humans, we value autonomy. So that means that I decide how to, how to do my, uh, my stuff, uh, we, that we are not micromanaged. And what happens very often in times of change that our autonomy is removed because we replace it by the external consultants or by someone who is working in a weird department that we didn't know that we call it transformational change, who will tell me, as of, uh, as of now, uh, you are not. You should be doing in this uh, in this way the, the, the new uh, new approach. And I wasn't part of the decision making. I didn't contribute. Yes, yes. I didn't co-create the change. So my level of engagement is going to be boop, dripping. Uh, then mastery. So uh, the possibility to for me to to learn continuously, so that I'm not part of a machine of the of the change that is. I have to repeat 10 million times, but I have the possibility to, to do something that is continuous, slightly more challenging of what I used to, to do before. Mm-hmm. So that I, I, I feel like I'm owning the thing is where I can enjoy what I'm doing because it's not repetitive to, so that it becomes boring and less attractive for me, but it's not challenging that I cannot completely not do it because it's out of my competency set. Mm-hmm. And then last thing, which you have mentioned also is about the sense of purpose. Why are we doing the change? If it is about uh, doing the change to have extra revenues, uh, doing the change, communicating the change, in fact, to have, uh, to grow, what is it, why is it important for me as an individual? Is it something where I feel related? So if we don't have these three elements that develop I call it intrinsic motivation. This motivation that comes from within is not because uh, I'm paid a a lot, but more is something that I want to give and it becomes my, again, I'm going to use the word, my lifestyle. If I don't have autonomy, mastery and purpose in what I do, then I'm not going to be part of the change. And I'm going to be like a, a resistant, passive resistant for the change that is happening because it belongs to some people 
who are up there in the senior management team. And sometimes they might not be the ones who are role modeling the change because yeah. change is about having a different mentality. But these guys, they are 50 plus. How, yeah. And they're demonstrating that they live the, the old ways. Such a great point that you've made there as well, Ivan, because, you know, you said this, this passive resistance to change. Sometimes it can be an active resistance to change. I mean, there's another commonly quoted statistic that says, no matter what change project, about 5% of people will never be on board with the change, right? For whatever reasons, it's not something that you're going to be able to, to solve, right? I mean, let's be real. There are very many people that want to align their work with their purpose, et cetera, et cetera. There are other people that have very different mindsets and different um, priorities, right? I want to come to my job and do what I've been doing for the last 10 years and don't want to change, right? But when you have those active resistors to change, and this is um, something that businesses and business leaders need to recognize, is you have to think about the impact of those negative people or toxic people. They could be the smartest people in the room, but if they're not buying into a company-wide change initiative, what is the effect to your bottom line then, right? And a lot of companies that I worked with and for say, well, we can't get rid of them. I mean, the cost to hire is too much, but what's the cost of keeping them? And how does that affect your future aspirations? So you have to think about it in that way as well. I, I liked it. You, you said it in a very subtle way, Zuleika. In fact, the active resistance are very often senior management. The mm -hmm. passive resistance are the mass. So the yes. 1,000 employees that, that you have, but that both pollute the reality, the realities of change. Yeah. So in order to drive change, you have to onboard your senior management to role model this change. Uh, and you have to identify within the mass who can be the kind of, I don't want to use the word catalyst because I saw it in the presentation of Accenture and I want to, <laughs> to part them. <laughs> uh, the early adopters like, the early adopters is as people that is excited by the change, who understand the business, who are not the ones saying, let's do this, but they will understand what it is in, for them in terms of the change, in terms mm -hmm. of progress. And when you see these early adopters doing it, doing the change, leaving the, 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 uh, the change, then you have like this creation of fans, people <clears throat> that, you are not paying to, to promote this, but they will talk positively about the change yeah. and they will find yeah. ways to say, hey, this is what I get by changing the, my, what, I'm, what I'm doing in, in my day-to-day -day job. Uh, so that's two elements that are not costly, in fact, right? Role modeling. Internal marketing is free and you're getting buy-in without, it's not just the change team's responsibility or the IT team's responsibility or HR's. It's you're making people accountable. And that kind of marketing is priceless. It's far more valuable than any other internal PR that you do for the change. I, I would be careful to calling it marketing. Uh, it's more about influencing, but marketing has a, a, a connotation and, and we have to be careful because I have seen uh, organization using, I don't know, the Porter's model of change and really doing marketing like nice videos that cost uh, $20,000. So 
to yeah. embark with the change or doing like a team building exercise in a big uh, resort. And they think that because of that, change will happen. It, yeah. it's, it's not a tactical uh, stuff. It is something that it has to be sustainable. So it's more about yeah. influencing people to say, I want to be part of this change. Yeah. <laughs> and this happens when you know a little bit more of the psychology of, of human beings. And sometimes we don't need a degree for psychology. We just need to be self-reflective about what made us Awareness. Yeah. change ourselves for yeah. simple things in life, right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so the, 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 the thing that it, it has become clear uh, is that human, the human aspect is super important, but how can we measure this, uh, the, the, this together with the transformation KPIs? Can we find ways of measuring how much we are progressing in terms of onboarding, engaging people, humans, uh, in terms of change? How should you be measuring change? Is it revenue? Is it financial key, uh, key performance indicators? What would you suggest for that, Suleika? You know, I think um, KPIs in themselves are a bit of a trap, right? Because it's quite easy for them to snowball and then you start measuring everything and anything. You mentioned earlier, you talked about uh, diversity and inclusion and immediately what happens to your brain is you talk about gender parity and ethnic, but it's not like that, right? You have to look at how effective your structures are, right? To implement that change, right? Because the point is to maintain focus and accountability, right? And if something's not working, you have to be in a mindset where you can just learn fast and pivot, right? You mentioned um, bottom line. That's different metrics will appeal to different people. And I guess that's why you have to have a broad range. So things like ROI of the change and the bottom line are important to the C-suite and senior management generally, right? And then they'll look at things like, are we actually reducing cost? Are we actually more pro uh, productive or agile or is customer satisfaction still there? You know, those are all sort of key overarching. They're always important to a business and you can't discount them. But the things that people don't really look at is measuring the, the people side of change. We've talked throughout this whole um, discussion, we've talked about how important it is to get employees on board. But it's actually measuring that employee engagement throughout the process, right? So you say, are they still engaging with us on day one in the same way that, or more or less, as they are on day 90, right? Mm. And that is, that is so important because you don't look at it in terms of just a bottom line number. You say, well, 50% of our employees are positively engaging with us. And of that 50% on day five, and of that optimistic, of that 50%, 10 are giving us active feedback that we're listening to. And again, that goes back to the point that I made earlier. Is this something that's going to make or break the change? So you can't have hard and fast KPIs that say, this is it. These are the only things we're going to measure the success of the pro product uh, project. You have to think about the, the, that agility that we talked about, the, uh, the ability to look at the problem and say, well, wait, we're going in the wrong direction. We need to pivot. So you shouldn't have hard and fast KPIs in the traditional mm. sense. Totally, I, I I completely agree. And and then I'm I'm I'm, I'm reflecting a little bit more about how uh, because 
there is a need of agility. So putting like hard financial uh, outcomes, goals or KPIs for, uh, for, for the changes is, is, is not enough. And the reason is that while you're doing the transformation and if you're doing iterations, because you don't know a lot of things and regardless of your seniority, uh, I mean, you haven't lived through, you don't know the future. You have lived ex experience that gives you a little bit of gut feelings, uh, intuition about what to expect, but you don't know the future. So uh, what I like is that in the, in the world of, uh, of uh, the entrepreneurial world of startups, then people do not use the, 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 the big KPIs. They, they use more something called OKRs. Uh, mm -hmm. It stands for Objective to Results Initiatives. And, and, and what, what it does is that when we're talking about objectives, it's more about an inspiration in terms of the set direction that we want to, uh, to be, like being the number one customer satisfaction group in the Middle East. Uh, uh, so it's where do I need to go uh, in terms of key results uh, how do I know I'm getting there? What is the, 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 the measurement that I'm going to be using? And behind this, you leave people the autonomy to create initiatives that are going to be supporting uh, the, the, your objectives and be measured by your, uh, by your key results. So what will, what will I do to get there? It is not something that you start with. It is something yes. that you have the direction, but there is... 10 million options that you need to, that you could explore and some of the options will not work and you should yes. not be afraid of failing. What you need is to fail fast. That means yes. you have quickly to give it a try without investing time and too much money and resources and so on to investigate that you don't even need to have like a market research company. Go and validate, like fake it until you make it a little bit like startups are doing. Sometimes we validate the stuff with landing pages in order to develop a product that will, will cost us money and, and time. And you have this sense of urgency in the startup world that if you don't quickly validate your stuff, you are going to run out of money and then you are mm -hmm. out of business and you'll be, you will be part of the 90 plus percent of companies who are failing. So you want to avoid that. So you are continuously experimenting, being in, a, in a, the level of experimentation. So instead of having hardcore numbers that as a direction or initiatives that are fixed, give them an, something that is inspirational and let your teams build initiatives that can support that and give them the possibility to fail fast. Create the process of experimentation. Give them the $5,000 to say, and how do we validate that? Experiment it quickly instead of going to SAP and spending $2 million. With that money, you're going to validate is what we are doing is, is the right approach. I think there's, um, a, 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 you mentioned that this works really well in the startup world and usually because they're a bit more agile, they're smaller, they have that capacity to, to change things around. For a lot of more established companies, they, they always revert back to KPIs because they feel like they, it's something they can control. And with OKRs, it's not a case of not controlling, right? Mm -hmm. The difference is empowering your employees to come up with targets that are then defined. They're still targets, okay? But they're part of their day-to-day -day job, right? Mm -hmm. And those can be targets that shift slightly, right? 
or the day-to-day -day activities can shift slightly to achieve that overarching goal or that overarching objective, right? So I think it's, um, again, a mindset change, right? If leaders were able to say to their employees, I want to be the best tech platform in wellness in the world, right, by, by 2023, how are we going to do it? And if you leave that to external consultants or just to a handful of your friends in the senior leadership team, you are not going to get the answers, right? If you let people engage, try, like you said, some of these initiatives uh, fail and then work out what will work, you're much more likely to get there. And this goes back to the point that I made earlier as well. You don't necessarily create targets around these hard and fast KPIs. You create them around the structures. Are our structures more effective today and getting the most out of our employees today than they have been? And I think that sounds a lot more difficult because it's not, you can't pick up a book that says these are the, the 100 KPIs that you can measure your company again. But if you invest a little bit of time in that, you'll find that your, your business reaps a lot more rewards. I think that is a fake, <clears throat> it is kind of an urban legend to say uh, this approach of OKR is something that only for uh, structures that are minimalistic. Uh, let's look at Google. Okay, they, they, they are tech, but are they really a startup anymore? I, they, they are deal, in fact, I think that they co-created this approach of OKR or they made it mm -hmm. really awesome, functional. <laughs> um, uh, Facebook, Tata Consulting are using OKR in order to drive their business because they finally understood that you cannot have ag agility in your organizations if you have fixed ways of doing, like initiatives yeah. that are going to be your stuff for the next 12, 18 months. Uh, and so you need something that is more fluid and that has the capacity to be revisited and pivoted or uh, or kicked out as an initiative if it doesn't mm -hmm. work. Encouraging in the, if you want, in the uh, big initiative world, like in a corporation that hasn't, hasn't changed, this is where you are afraid of failure because you know that, or, or voicing out that you are going to fail if, if you are doing this initiative or hiding the results or beautifying the results because there is always an angle that you can show that your project works. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. So we need to be a, able to allow people to talk about failure as a, uh, about their failures in as a way of constructing better organizations. And yeah, for that, yeah. you need to allow them not to work anymore in long-term initiatives that that are fixed because it was the idea yes. of the CEO or the CEO or whoever that has a lot of power. And I'm afraid of saying, I couldn't make it. Maybe it didn't make sense from the beginning, but nobody was challenging. In organizations where you, during a transformation, you can talk openly about, about what works or not. This is where, where things work. Can being candid about failure and saying, mm -hmm. yeah, it doesn't work. It's not me. It's, 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 this, this is what, uh, the, what it is. And, and that drives us to the discussion of saying, so how can we, I mean, let's imagine that this discussion has resonated with a couple of companies. And it's not about uh, <clears throat> hiring consultants, it's, it's more about how can I start really a transformation with things that are not going to cost me an arm and a leg that is easy to implement. What are the key things that we can implement that is, is just about 
moving things around without mm -hmm. extra, extra context. Is that a right way to start? I think, um, look, I think the right way is a tailored way for each company. These, um, again, a complaint with the big companies, they come in with standard frameworks and structures that we then apply to, you know, nice presentations that we just adapt to every company. For, for change, it doesn't work like that. I think the starting point always has to be go back to basics. Everyone wants a quick win and wants to start with a process that let's start, you know, moving things around here and then see if it works. It's not that simple. I think re revisiting what your strategy is, what you're aiming to do as a business and how that reflects in how you do your business and how well that resonates with your com uh, com uh, customers. And that is, that's the more strategic side of it, right? You need someone to be able to say, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, collaboration, but there's no mechanisms of collaboration. You're talking about, you know, um, letting your employees decide X, Y, Z, but there's no way your employees can sit and share those ideas with you. Or even if they try, there's no way it gets to you, right? Because, because of the way your organization is structured. So you need to say, this is what you want and this is how it does or does not make sense for your business. I think that's a starting point. And then from there, you can start looking at all the areas of your business the, the quick wins and the long-term plan, right? And a huge part of that throughout the process, and this is something that I really champion at Cornerstone is using your employees. You don't need to, as a consultant, you don't need to bring a thousand consultants in to come and tell you what to do. You just mm -hmm. need to get the best value out of the employees that you've already vetted, are happy with, they've been there for a while in a lot of cases, they know the job better than any consultant's going to know. And sometimes you need someone with, or a lot of times you need someone with an objective perspective that can come and get that kind of solution for you. Mm. And then, like you said. Uh, <laughs> let, let me give you, uh, I, I love what you say that everything starts by revisiting the culture. So what are the, if the values that, that we, we are having or we want to have are not easy to be done or not easy to be understood. By the way, in many companies, I have, I have looked at the value, so, and, and I couldn't understand it. And I was wondering, how can, I, how can it be possible that an, a, a newcomer, the secretary, the, or a manager can understand what it means behind? Uh, so because we as humans need to have like a, a behavior that is like because the example. You you know that because when you walk into a company, people are living it, right? You, yeah. you see it, it's senior management are not saying that, you know, let's all collaborate. And then they're having a closed door meeting over there with five people. Then, then, I mean, obviously there are some conversations that need to stay at that level, but they're not sharing that with anyone else, right? Yeah. Or not saying, giving you, we've seen this happen in the Middle East, right? They get, some senior managers will give you a job to do, but secretly they will give someone else a job to do. Um, to see who comes out with the best outcome because there's this divide and conquer mentality. But if on your website it says we champion collaboration <laughs> and transparency and fairness, then yeah. you know that that's not happening. So when you walk into a company, I think people live it. They have to live it. And yeah. everything that the business has in place in terms of its systems and processes and structures has to reflect that, has to enable that. Yeah. Uh, exactly. That, that's the word that I had in my mind. You stole it in, from my, my brain, Zuleika, enablement. So 
we to start any change we have to understand uh, understand what are the challenges to enable people to change so if we want more collaboration more innovation whatever what is preventing today is it the way we are communicating is not clear is it like you say we discuss with a bunch of uh, senior management team we have put some certain values and we publish in the website and and there is a two liners describing something like that is very subjective to understand why don't we open up the discussions about how can i represent it as an admin assistant as a as a driver as the person who is responsible for co uh, customer engagement as a digital guy the it guy how can i what how can i use it for my job if there is no top-down approach in order to represent the behaviors, the actions behind the values, nobody cares. And if you don't reward these values and behaviors, then nobody cares. If we are talking about we are human-centric and as a manager, my bonuses come from how much I have been selling uh, every single month and nothing to do with empowerment of my people, development of my people, of course, I'm not going to care because I'm only judged uh, about this sales key performance indicators so it will not work so culture in order to start the change of culture you don't need money you need willingness you need to start with the role modeling from uh, from your top uh, top management you need to involve people into the discussions about how we can transform it in, into behaviors and cre create create no is try to identify the people who really feel overexcited because they do the guerrilla approach for you they do the job of yeah. showing others how things uh, it, it should be so the cultural aspect is is, is so critical and that that is something that I, that in fact you have been working quite a lot uh Zuleka, and and you you want to understand if i and correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. You want to understand what is the perceptions and and ways of implementing different business cultures, and you are running like a global survey to understand the different perceptions. And if, if there is something that can be done differently, that is more targeted, because we have seen an evolution of the thinking. So if we as an individuals we are changing and we are adopting about. Is it my life worthwhile to go to, to work and crunch some numbers? Uh, organizations are a mapping of a human being. So they, they organizations are also having a, these doubts and ways of uh, going to evolution. And you want to understand where we stand. What, what is the perception? What counts for me? What is important? What is critical? Can you tell me a little bit and more I about think, you know, business culture is what we wanted to do with this survey is again from the top right it's not just a hr thing right it's across the business as a whole to understand what people whether they're ceos or whether they frontline employees how they perceive what business culture means to them but how they perceive it's implemented in their companies this goes back to the point that we mentioned before right different parts of the business have a different idea of what uh, business culture is you might think you have a great business culture because you've got a great website that talks to the different values, but frontline employees won't see it that way. So one of the things that we want to do with this survey is to get an understanding of how people feel about it, how it's implemented in their organization. And the goal is then to, to bridge that gap, 
right? Look at what are the things that uh, co companies as a, a general rule need to have implemented in place to get that sense of business culture because without a strong business culture, there's no strong results. Even if you have like hard and fast KPIs, it will teeter off at some point because you can't survive in this current economic climate with, with quite a stagnant and static uh, business culture. It's just not going to work. Um, so yeah, we wanted to get the perceptions of, we're running a global survey because we wanted to get a, quite a diverse perspective from different companies, different industries, different um, employee levels. Um, so that we can come up with a, a solution that we're looking to share with everyone through some infographics and white papers. Um, so yes, please get involved because the more ideas and, and uh, responses that we have, the better that we can help businesses and make a big difference. You know what I, what I like is that one, uh, I did the survey, so I went through the, the, the process to, uh, it's very short to do, uh, to be done. Uh, the second thing is that it will allow whoever is responding to have a benchmark and have a comparison. Where do I stand? So if I'm thinking yeah. like this, how companies in the UAE or in in France are reacting towards the change? Is it different? So that we can know where we where we stand and if we need to do the first step towards adapting to what is going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it gives you an opportunity at the end. I mean, we have uh, what we've created an exclusive LinkedIn community where more of these ideas will be shared. And so you'll connect with people and hopefully have key takeaways that you can take away and implement in your own businesses or share ideas with your business leaders to say, this is the direction we should be going in. So if I fill up then the survey, then I have access not only to the benchmark, but access to the group in order to discuss ideas. And this is- And, and to network, yeah. If you have challenges, there is always someone who went through this challenge who can yeah. give a, a different perspective. That's there is no better way to to move forward. Uh, listen, we are running towards the end of this discussion, and I, I wanted to 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 ask you if is there something specific, like a key message that you would like to to share with the uh, the audience about. <laughs> about change that, that, that you feel that is super important to, to take into consideration? What could be your takeaway, Suleika? I think my key takeaway um, is that, you know, you have to understand that you cannot dehumanize a business. People are a huge factor in the success of a change or transformation project. It's not um, HR or a, a change team thing. It's a whole business effort. And it really requires a much more nuanced approach to help you get there. Mm. Um, I think that would be my key, key takeaway. There's no hard and fast rules for, for change and transformation. You really have to look at your business um, mm. on its own merits. In, in my case, so what, what I, I think I have taken that uh, out of our discussion is, is that you cannot do a transformation if the human aspect, if you don't start with the human aspect. In fact, yes. it's not about tools, new processes. Uh, it is because they will be the bottleneck if you don't do the effort uh, for, the, for the change. So uh, the human aspect and how can you make it instead of being a one-off, a tactical, a transactional uh, yeah. thing that you did, it is more about a sustainable, something that lasts 
forever that you create the, a mindset in the organization for so that it's not like you a company shouldn't be like you have waves of transformation it should be continuously transforming in order yeah. to be more agile and and it starts with humans because what is valid for us if it is super difficult to go to for us to go to the gym uh, it might not change compared to a big ass transformation in uh, in organizations uh, imagine if an organization is a mapping of a human being it should be there is friction there is fear yeah. there is resistance that needs to be over overcome uh, if you want to reach out to Leica Kaizen, so I'm going to spell it K-A-Y-S-A-N. Okay. LinkedIn is the is the way to go, right? Yes. Yes. I mean, just drop me a, a message on LinkedIn. We can schedule a short call and take it from there. Uh, there's only one Zaleka Kaizen on LinkedIn, so it shouldn't be difficult to find. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is good, Suleika. Really, I find it uh, quite insightful. That uh, that it, 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 insightful and reassuring because a lot of a, a lot of the mentality, the philosophy of change that you are implementing in in the Cornerstone Advisory is very similar to what we do from a, just a slightly different angle. Angle, but I would say. It, it is more than the angle, it's a complementarity of what we do, yeah. two ways of contributing to, to make organizations that are thriving in the change, that, are, that, that know how to, how to make it happen. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's something excellent. So Leica, thank you very much for your time and thank hope you to see you soon. Thank you.